change. They want me to change, but I ain't changing. Nah. I remain the same. And you are not tuned into another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio. Brought to you by M3S3 Clothing. Men make moves and suckers stand still. And as always on the mighty, 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 mighty Nerve DJs Radio Network. Uh, you already know, man. Legend after legend after legend. It's becoming redundant, but that's what we do around here. And today is absolutely no exception. We have one of the Nation of Islam's finest. One of the greatest speakers to ever have vocal cords. One of the smartest people in the history of history. Student Minister Nuri Muhammad. How you doing, King? Oh, brother job. I'm so honored to share space and time with you, mighty warrior, and appreciate you and what you all do on this great platform. I'm I'm just honored to be here to hopefully add value uh, to your viewing audience. Man, stop it. Hopefully add value. You add value everywhere, bro. And first and foremost, man, I, I got to say one thing, man. Shout out to your barber. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's been my barber for since we were 13 years old. Really? I was the first head he cut, and uh, I hope I'm the last head that he cut, too. What was the 13-year-old Nuri Muhammad like? Oh, you know, young young, and uh, misguided, crazy, you know, meddling in, in the streets. Uh, come from a neighborhood here in Indianapolis, uh, 40th and Boulevard, uh, which was called you know, uh, called Baja because it was so hot with madness and dope. So, you know, at 13, I was messing around in the streets trying to, you know, do what we did in in that environment, make a little money, doing whatever we had had to do. But, uh, you know, I was just a young, traditional, young black male without a knowledge of self, uh, moving and operating in, in, in the environment, picking up bad habits i mean well that didn't last long you you joined the nation at what 17 17 yep 17 why well, i i i tell you the truth but job i was you know when i was i was selling weed when i was 11 and 12 and i started uh selling you know at that time it was powder cocaine and you had uh, you know the dope things rocked it up themselves but when i was a teenager i was messing around in in the streets and one day I was sitting on the porch and a thought came to my mind real loud. It said, a voice said this, I wonder what the dope fiends were doing when they were your age. And instead of me going to the trap house or the liquor store to serve the people we used to serve, I went and interviewed everybody. And while I was interviewing them, I asked them, what, you know, what was y'all doing back when y'all was younger? And the universal answer, brother Job, the universal answer was, oh, we was getting money just like you. And I'm like, what you mean getting money just like me? He said, we, we was hustling. And it dawned on me that if I'm doing what they're doing when they were my age, I'm in route to be doing what they're doing when I become their age. And uh, the song wasn't out yet back then, but I said, hell no, to the no, no. But an all no no. <laughs> and I made my mind up that I was going to, you know, leave the streets alone. And uh anybody that's ever been in the streets know that it's just as hard to stop selling as it is to stop using. One's a fiend for the dope, the other's a fiend 
uh, for the money and what they can do. So I was trying to get out, start doing the only thing I knew to go to church with my friends. I was going to Bible studies, two services. I was I was doing everything that the program rendered, but I didn't feel like I was getting enough strength to resist the pull of the streets. And I had at that time a girlfriend who uh, whose father was plugged into the to the nation and wasn't a member, but he was a supporter and a sympathizer. Mm-hmm. And she gave me uh, some tapes of the minister and a book message to the black man. And she started getting back reinterested in what she had been uh, exposed to since she was four, five, six years old. And the uh, next thing you know, I read it. Listen, I said, this is what I've been believing all my life. But from the outside looking in, brother job, it looked too disciplined, too hard of a life. And I said, well, if I can prove it wrong, I'm going to leave it alone. But if I cannot prove it wrong, I'm going to commit myself 100%. And here I am right now, suited and booted, 29 years later, after I made that uh, uh, contract with myself and my God, I spent eight hours a day sometime in the library doing everything I could to prove it wrong. And I would bring a eight hour, five day research and the little brother on search post at the mosque, not no main person in five minutes, he would defeat my argument. I said, well, you know, that old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. That's one of my questions too. That's, that's how that math went. Uh, and and that's what brought me to, to the ranks. It was her. And I'm pleased to announce, Brother uh, Job, that that sister that brought me in at the age of 17, she joined a week and a half later. Hmm. And in a year and a half at the age of 19, we were married and have been that now for the last uh, 29 years. You know, it, what's interesting... Um... My problem with religion as a whole, I'm just a secular, regular old guy, is I've always questioned everything I hear. You know, I would go to church and in my mind, I may not say it out loud, but in my mind, when the pastor would say something, I read the book. Yeah. I had legitimate questions. I've never heard anybody out loud, like question anything in the nation. Well, that's the the beauty of of the, the nation. Uh, Before you even become a member, you have to learn and memorize questions and answers. Everything we do is is questions. In fact, uh, if you even if the reverend and the deacon that would would tell me the same thing, brother job, because I had questions. I wanted to know how the ghosts get women pregnant. You know, I I wanted it was some stuff I needed to understand. And every time I ask questions uh, in church to the Sunday school teacher, the deacon, associate pastor, the reverend, you know what they would tell me? Look here, boy, don't you question God. Yeah. You just got to have faith. You just got to believe. And I did want to have faith and I did want to believe, but I wanted to have some knowledge to base my faith on. Otherwise I would have blind faith, but I learned from my teacher, the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan, look at this, look at what Jesus told the people to do. He said, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. So he said, ask, seek, knock. And if you take the first letter of ask, seek, and knock, it's A-S-K, 
which still spells ask again. So who said don't question God? Mm. So you had the right approach. You just weren't attached to the right belief system that could have given you those answers. I came with that same investigative mind. I came with that same reasoning, logic, deduction, and inference. But when I brought that to the mosque in the nation, mm-hmm. it wasn't shot down and looked down upon. It was I was patted on the back. They smiled at me and loved that I was as inquisitive uh, as I was. And the answers that I received from the messages I studied, from the conversations with the soldiers, from the books that I was reading, were, were more than satisfactory to the questions I had in my mind all my life. And thus I'm here. Okay, so let me ask you this. Where'd you get the name Nuri from? And what is the power in the name? Well, you know, to, to take the second part first. In in the scripture, in the book of Isaiah, there's a verse that says that a good name is better than gold. Uh, at that time, silver and gold was the medium of exchange. So just like we exchange paper, which is supposed to be back, it's supposed to be a note backed mm-hmm. by silver and gold that is not backed by now, which means it's fiat currency, another, another program for another day. But suffice it to say that a good name better than gold goes a medium of exchange. A medium of exchange is something you put in the market to get out of the market what you want. Well, if you give someone a good name, not only does the name really, it doesn't describe them yet, but it gives them a description of what they should live up to. That's the reason why when the slave master brought us to America, there was three primary culprits in the slave trade process, slave making. It was a slave trader. That's the one that got us here. Slave maker, the one that broke us down. Slave master, the one that managed us on the field. Well, one of the things they made sure they did was made sure that we could not wear our original African names that had meaning to them. So we became Johnson, Thompson, Samson. Why? Because Tom and John and Sam are white men. And we were Tom's son, John's son, Sam's son. And when they gave us these names, Brother Job, they didn't give us these names as terms of endearment to make us a part of their family. They branded their sheep, their goat, their ox, and their and their cows with their name. Hmm. And right after they finished branding the cow, they would brand the slave. They gave us names that were attached to them that meant nothing so that if we ever got away, they would know what plantation to return us to. It's a sad case that if you had somebody that had an automobile that they've been maintaining, taking care of, washing, changing the oil, keeping it looking good seven, eight years, but somebody else's name is on the title. Hmm. I don't care how good you took care of it. You're not the owner. Whoever's name is on the title owns it. Same with a deed of a house. I don't care how long you lived in it, what you did to improve it. Whosever name is on the deed owns that house. Well, the reason why we were in the nation names that mean something, an ex or a Muhammad, is because we are separating ourselves from the slave master and we want names that 
have substance because they're not our master. They're not our owners. So I was not born uh, Nuri Muhammad, but whenever the minister uh, met me many years ago, he told me after seeing the work that Allah was blessing us to do, he said he had a, a name for me. He told me a few times, and in 2005, uh, on uh, August the 25th, he came to Indianapolis, and his son was putting my phone number in his his cell phone. I asked him could I do it. He said yes. He was putting it in there, and the minister looked up and said, "No, not don't put that name in there. I have another name that I want you to wear, and the name is Nuri." N-U-R-I. He said it comes from the Arabic al-Nur, which means the light. He said Allah has blessed you to be a light everywhere that you have gone. And it's a good name that complements the name you already have that you deserve. And that is Muhammad. Nuri Muhammad, the light of Muhammad. So that's how it all uh, materialized. Uh, me getting that name and mm -hmm. the value of the name. And I would suggest to all of the parents that are uh, in the viewing audience, if you're going to give your child a name, give them a child a name that means something so that whenever their name is recited, look at this. Do you know that words are so powerful that they don't just describe reality, but by the law of substitution, words can create a reality? Mm. You know, when God, what did God use to bring everything into existence? He didn't hope and wish and think. He spoke it. And God said, let there be light. And God yes. said, let the stars adorn the heaven. And God said, let us make man. And God said, let the firmament cover the earth. In the Quran, it says it like this. When God deems a thing, he simply says to it be. And it is. So when you use words, mm -hmm. Words don't just reflect or describe reality. Words have the authority by the law of substitution to create it. So if your child is not yet wise and you still name him Aline, which means the all-knowing, mm -hmm. even though he's not yet that, every time you call his name, Aline, pick up your bag. Aline, come here for a minute. His mind is going to say, Aline means all-knowing. I got to get me some knowledge. Hmm. See, you know, it's interesting and, and about that. I'm that's sorry. That's the math that was used for us uh, before we were kidnapped, Caucasianized, and Westernized by this enemy. We always had names that meant something. Didn't mean the child was that yet. But every time we called him by that name or her by that name and she knew the meaning, he knew the meaning, they had something to work for. I interviewed a, a brother out of Detroit, Minister Freedom, um, and he said that they didn't name their children for maybe like a week or so after they were born because they wanted to watch and see their characteristics and and, and kind of let their characteristics name themselves, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you about financial coonery. What exactly is that? Well, it is the uh, ignorant spending that that black people engage in in a nutshell. And and we we right now, Brother Job, 
do you know that black people last year and the year before brought in an estimate $1.3 trillion? Three years in a row before that, we brought in $1.1 trillion. Mexico only brought in 637 and Spain only brought in $750 uh, billion. Mm -hmm. So we brought in nearly double Spain and double Mexico, yet Mexico has a 76,000 square mile land mass with 103 million people. Spain has a 208,000 square mile land mass with 47 million people. By the way, that's the same population as black people in America. And they are independent, maintaining their own economic system. They have their own airlines, their roads, their school system. They have a, they have a nation operating off of half of the money that we have. But we, $1.3 trillion, and we barely own a few businesses in the black community. That shows that we got a lot of dollars, but we missing some cents. We the only people, Brother Job, that blame the white man for 95% of our problems and still spend 97% of That's our money with them. We the financial coonery is is being is unnecessary spending. And that's what black we are the leaders in unnecessary spending. What is unnecessary spending? It's buying what you don't need with money that you don't have from people that you don't like to impress people that you don't even know. So, so black people, you, you notice the way we spend. All you got to do to get black people to buy something is make it cost too much. Mm-hmm. And we don't even feel like we somebody unless we got some eeny or some eerie or some achi or some uchi on. If we don't have that on, we don't, we don't feel like something. So financial coonery is whenever we spend uh, in a foolish way. And I say this to us, brothers and sisters. Listen to remember this. Don't go broke trying to look rich. Because <laughs> respect cannot be purchased. It has to be earned. It has to be earned. So we we've got to do better uh, with our with our dollar. It's something that when they did the uh, Nielsen report in 2018, they found that in the Asian community a dollar circulates in their community 20 for 28 to 30 days before it ever leaves. In the Jewish community, it stays 17 to 21 days. Among our Latino family, they kept their dollar in their own circle for 14 days. But in the black community, we only kept our dollar among ourselves for three to six hours. Something's wrong with that mathematics. Something's wrong with that. That means as soon as we get the money, we're giving it back to somebody else. We have to escape this form of financial coonery, which has us leading in unnecessary spending, blaming the white man for 95% of our problems, but still spending 97% of our money with them. We need right now for for our our people, we need to have a new mantra that we operate on. Mm -hmm. do, Do you know that that Asians don't have to be taught, trained, or or conjoled into to spending money with each other. It's natural whenever you love yourself to look out for your people that look like you. So we got to have a new mantra, brother, 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 job. That new mantra in the black community must be this: shop with your brother, 
before you shop with another. That means whatever good service, product, or need you have, look in the environment and find somebody that looks like you that you can give your money to. And if you don't find someone in your city, go online and find you a spot online. We can do it. $1.3 trillion. That's a lot of money. Listen to me. One point. Do you know there's 226 nations on the earth? And $1.3 trillion would make black people the eighth richest nation on the planet? We in the top 10 wealthiest nations in the world and don't have anything uh, that we can we can call our own because we're practicing too much retail therapy, unnecessary spending, and 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 trying to get the eerie, the eni, the uchi, and the achi before we get some land, some property, some industry, some business for ourselves. That's and what financial coonery is. We waste a lot of, uh, at least I know personally, you know, our prime years, we waste doing that. And and then when we get older, you know, you get about 35, 40 years old, then you kind of realize, okay, I've been doing things, you know, excuse my language, but ass backwards. Right. And then you want to start saying, okay, now you want to start, te- well, you, you know, your you, your best teaching utensil is your example. That's right. That's right. That's what I learned. My The, the, the minister, the Honorable Minister Louis Farcon told us, as a nation and one day i was talking to him and and he he taught us this he said that the best and only way to really uh to 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 teach others is to lead by example and he said nothing speaks louder than an example and and whenever you have in language a sentence that doesn't have subject and verb agreement then you have a fragmented sentence that doesn't make sense, it produces miscommunication. And when you got people talking one way and living something different, then then you then then they are what you said. We are what we are. We were bass accurate. You didn't catch that, brother John. You didn't catch that. So, so, so we have to um there's a new catchword in the black community that's that's a decent catchword. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's financial literacy, but that's that's only the beginning. To be able to be literate, all that means is I know how to do is sound out letters to say what a word is. But literacy has to lead to comprehension, and we need not only financial literacy, but we need financial comprehension and financial understanding. Uh, and I I've been blessed to. Uh, show uh, a formula by the study, what I call a meta-analysis of probably over 100 different books on finance and the use of money and the psychology of money over the course of, of the years. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that that white parents don't just teach their children financial literacy, they teach them financial comprehension and understanding. And this is a universal code. Hmm. If you live a life and you put 10% of your money to the side as a savings, another 10% for investment and hold that money at least one year, and then another 10% you give to a charity that will help the rise of your people, and then you modify your lifestyle 
to live off of that 70%, then if you do that consistently, uh, and, and remember this, out of that money that you do use, make sure that when you buy a home, that your home never goes past 28% of your monthly income. That's your mortgage shouldn't be more than 28%. Okay. And your car payment shouldn't be more than 10%. And if you did 10% saving, 10% investing, 10% to charity that's going to uplift your people, take that 70% and make sure that your mortgage note is, 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 is uh, no more than 28% of your monthly income and your car note is 10%, You'll mm -hmm. find that you'll have a, a, a lot of you'll have liquid capital available and you will be able to buy yourself uh, in into freedom. But because because we live from pillar to post, from paycheck to paycheck and and we we find ourselves because we're chasing all this, this any, this eerie, this uchi and this achi. We find ourselves at the end of a cycle with more month at the end of our money but yeah, if we had okay. discipline we would have more money at the end of our month so i'm watching one um i don't i don't want to call it this i don't know the, if i call it a speech a sermon i'm not exactly sure so i don't want to be disrespectful um but you were talking about uh uh how, how brothers need to step up and and, and protect our women better and then I seen somebody in the comments say that you're not just talking, that you almost died trying to save a sister. Is that true? Uh, this is true. I didn't see that comment, but I was a young, young brother. I was 19 years old, living in Chicago, working um, as a security supervisor for one of our companies there. And I was in Rockwell uh, Gardens and there was a brother that was beating a sister with some handlebars to a bicycle. And I stepped in front of him and, you know, to protect the sister, took the handlebars from the brother. He threw the handlebars, we wrestled over him and he picked up a pole and, and tried to hit her with the pole and, and I wouldn't let him do it. So he ended up hitting me with the pole, but I was able to put my arm up and block it. Um, and the sister ran and, you know, long story short, it uh, he ended up chasing her down, and uh, I went to the location where they were. And he was outside of her apartment, busting her windows to get her to, uh, you know, come out. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came up the steps, it was a couple of other uh, security personnel trying to detain him and couldn't. And I came up the stairs and threw my trench coat over his head and hit him. Mm -hmm. and held him down on the ground. Lo and behold, I didn't know it, but the sister was his wife that he was beaten. So she came out the apartment and tried to stab me for trying to protect her. So, you know, we were blessed to be able to uh, get the weapon from her, but it was, you know, a bad situation. So when we got down several flights of stairs, by the time we got down there, he had called all his friends that were part of, you know, his little set and told them that we jumped him. And I was the only one there. I was by myself. They, the other parties that was involved, they were gone. Mm -hmm. and so they end up uh, with baseball bats, poles, 
and I was I knew the leader of the game. So mm-hmm. I told him, I said, brother, then nobody jump you, brother. This is what happened. Let's just walk. Let's just talk and everything will be good. So he told everybody, don't do nothing. And I'm assuming, you know, that they're going to follow his instructions like we would. Mm-hmm. So me and him walk away. I'm thinking we're going to talk and I'm going to explain to him what happened. Lo and behold, when I was walking away, someone hit me in the head with a bat. So they end up beating me, uh, beating me to the point where the blows were so loud from them hitting me with the poles and the bats that it the sound of me being hit, it was about four o'clock in the morning, woke the people up in the projects. And so uh, some of the sisters in the projects looked out there and seen who it was, came down there, got them off me. I ended up going to ambulance and was in the hospital uh, for a couple of days, but I never felt any pain and never was even unconscious. But I was in bad, I was in bad shape. And, uh, you know, I went back over there to work and we were able to resolve it. And them, both the brother, the head of that gang and that the brother that we got into the situation where they end up working for us. So, but it is true. That is a true story. Uh, young 19 year old brother that loves his people and didn't want to see uh, his sister get done like that. And uh, I tried to do my best to stop it and we were able to stop it. It just started something else. And that didn't disillusion you at all. No, see, see, our people, you know, you, you know, I don't know if you remember um, in school whenever they first started talking about this. I think I may have been junior high school. They start talking about uh, grading certain people on a curve. Yeah. And uh, what justified grading on a curve was the social and the economic background that a student came from. So based upon the environment that they lived in, the poverty that they experienced and the lack of uh, knowledge that they possessed, they were taking the same tests, but they were graded on the curve. With us as a people, mm-hmm. we have been hit in the head and left for dead. We've been robbed of our name, culture, language, land, more ways, folk ways, norms, religion, God. We lost all of the essential things that are individual nation member needs. So whenever we deal with our people, we have to judge our people on a curve. So I don't, I don't, there's a scripture, Brother Job, that says that a blind man has no sin. And our people are spiritually and mentally and economically, we've been blinded. So anytime conduct comes from from us, even if you're the victim of it, you got to grade your people uh, on a curve. So that's how I seen it through the lenses of the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad then and now. And so, uh, you know, I, I didn't think that the best thing to do was go back and beat the savage. The best thing for us to do was go back and teach the savage. So that's what we did. And uh, by the grace of Allah, we were, uh, you know, successful to a degree in, in that assignment. You know, I've, uh, I've been friends with uh, student minister Troy Muhammad for a few years now. Um, and I've had the, the privilege of being around him in different in, environments on occasion. 
and I'm always in awe at how he multitasks. And I always wonder, I never really asked him, um, but how do you deal with the pressure? Because you got, I mean, you got people calling you, you know, you're a student minister, so people come to you for advice. They want to talk about the marital problems. They want to talk about, you know, the, right. the car note. Yeah. How, how, like, who do you talk to? How do you deal with it? Well, we, we know we have a good regimen and, and we should be able to uh, to communicate with, with the Lord of the worlds. And, and I'm not saying that in just some cliche where we just pray and talk to, to God. But the the another form of communication, you know, what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said one time, he said, if you want to talk to God, read the Holy Quran. So so whenever you talk to to God, or you in a communication with God, it's more than just prayer. He didn't say, when you want to talk to God, just pray. He said, read. So, so nursing uh, on the word and the, the benefit of really wanting to, to save your people and wanting to help your people is whatever problem they have, you offer what you know, and, and you constantly are trying to dig to get more to be able to give, to be able to help the people you love and then by you studying, trying to get knowledge to be able to help them, and you know that more than likely when they ask you the question, you won't have that book in front of you to be able to, to, to quote it back to them. So you got to memorize it. Then accidentally on purpose, because you're studying to help them, you memorize and then you internalize. And when you internalize, it becomes a part of you. So you end up kind of almost uh, engaging in self-counseling all the time because you're trying to study to help other people. So I believe, uh, and I'll say that, I, that of course, I've gone through great trials in, in life, but I believe that the God loves us, his people so much that anyone that is trying to help them, you automatically get his help for you. So that's the, that's the, the, you know, the divine magic, if you will, that that works out itself. If you try to help the people of God, the God will try to help you, and He does. So that's that's it, and and that's that's where that's where love will do for you. You, if you have love for your God, love for your truth, love for the cause you believe in, and love for the people, everything will work out. And speaking of uh, counseling. You have, I know you do like, do, do you do marital counseling? I'm assuming so. I try not to. But I, do. <laughs> I try not to. Has it ever been Let so bad where you like get a divorce? Well, this, this is what, this is what happened uh, in my sojourn of teaching and, and, and training around the world. Mm -hmm. It hurt me, brother job, because as we were being invited to speak in various different type of settings in different places uh almost all the time those that were inviting us after we got finished with the program that they put on for the public they always wanted to pull me to the side with relationship problems that they were having <laughs> so i you know i really i'll be honest i got tired of having being already tired from teaching two three four times that day then i'm back at the hotel getting ready to go get in the bed they want to pull me off to the side by the copying machine in the lobby want to know can they ask me something so so i said you know what i'm going to figure out a way to take what i've learned 
on the science of mating by my study in the nation and put it in some books. Uh, so I did before you say I do. And then after you say I do. So now instead of having the individual one-on-one counseling, mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to counsel. I don't think it's necessary. He said, and, and, and I, I tell you what, like them old school doctors used to say, take two of these and call me in the morning. I do that with the books. Before you say I do and after you say I do, look, take two of these and call me in the morning if you still think you need to talk. So far, so far, almost no one has needed to have another conversation after they sincerely applied what they learned uh, in those books that God blessed me to write. So that, that's been my counseling tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we do, uh, we've done probably 50 or 60 seminars around the country on how to love a black woman and how to love a black man. Uh, and we take anonymous questions from the audience. And by doing so, we get so many uh, anonymous, straightforward, raw questions because you don't know who's asking. Right. And we give straightforward, raw, uncut answers. And we record them and send them out to thousands of people each time we do it. So because of that, uh, those books and being able to tap in to those seminars live or when we send them out, it has been able to keep me from having to do a lot of that uh, one-on-one counseling in, in that sense. The minister told me not to do it. He said, no, don't, don't do that. You don't, you don't need to do that. And he gave me a formula uh, uh, to work. And I've been trying to work that formula. And so far, those that have had what they think is special, unique problems, please. When the Honorable Elijah Muhammad wrote his monumental book, Message to the Black Man in America, he didn't make a different one from New York that he did for California or a different one from Ohio that he did for, for Minnesota. It's black men. We all, we all coming from the same condition. We all are the victims of the plantation psychosis, post-traumatic slave syndrome. We all suffer from the Willie Lynch curse. We, we all are the victims. We all been catching the same hell at the same place at the same time from the same devil. So we're not that unique. So those have been my formulas. Those have been my two, uh, best tools and then the newest tool in the two tool belt has been these group seminars okay um but since i got you here i just want to ask one quick well i guess technically it's two questions um what would be your your number one thing for how to love a black man and how to love a black woman well i, I would say this that you know in, in the scripture well this let's put it like this the inventor of the institution of marriage was God himself. So the first place that people should look when they want counsel on how to be successful in something is to go to the one that created it. That's, that's the way you do it. Whenever, whatever, whatever brand of vehicle you have, you want the owner's manual to go to that brand to get the best use of the vehicle. It hurt my heart when we were doing the research, brother job for, uh, before you say I do we had we Googled 
and did a search and we found, I think it was over 350,000 books on male and female relationships that was available at that time, 350,000 available at that time. And when the team brought them back to me and I was looking at all of the names, I, I asked a question. I said, can I ask y'all a question? Did anybody see in their research when we were compiling how many books were out there, the Bible or the Quran? They said, hmm. no. I said, so you telling me that the God who invented marriage is not even in the search for advice on marriage? So I learned something, Brother Job, from the minister in a message he did in 1983. Wow. I was nine. 1983 and he took a verse from the bible and used it to show a sister how she can get the best out of her man and showed the brother how he could get the best out of a woman and it was found in ephesians 5 33 and look at what it says to the brothers to the husbands it says and husbands you must love your wife as you love yourselves and wives you must respect your husbands. So this is, these are two different verbs. See, these are gender specific commands mm. on how a man can get the best out of a woman and how the woman can get the best out of the man. It's not the same formula. For the man to get the best out of that woman, his verb is love. For the woman to get the best out of that man, her verb is respect. So the honor the way that you show a man that he's that you're proud of him and the type of love and, and for the record, for the record. Love is not just a, a word. Love is really a action. Absolutely. So you have to show it. So yeah. what we've done is we've been able to to break it down. And, and there was a study done asking women all over the world of different nationalities, what would be the ideal love that you would ever receive from a man? And when the math was done, Brother Job, after interviewing all the women, there was about, there was four basic things that they wanted to see a man do. Number one, they wanted a man to be loyal to them. Most men have not been one woman men. But most women have been one man women, but women want a man to be a one woman man. They want loyalty. Second, they wanted love. Third, they wanted a man that would listen to them. Fourth, they wanted a man that would labor or work hard for his family. Fifth, they wanted a man that would make them laugh. Someone with a sense of humor. And I and I added a sixth one to the equation because the minister said this. He said that a dumb man will never be a good husband. So you don't just want to, you don't, you don't just want to be somebody that's loyal and listen and love and labor and make her laugh. You also want to be learned. So those are six things that a man has to be if he wants to properly love that woman. And for the, for the woman, mm -hmm. if you take the word respect and you break it down to an acronym, which means that every letter in the word represents another word. The first R 
in respect stands for just that respect show that man that you respect him that you're proud of him that you honor him get, 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 pat him on the back for doing the things that he always does even though you're used to it the e stands for esteem hmm. meaning honor that man in front of people that he respects then you have the s that is your smile that is your your uh bless his sight by keeping yourself beautiful sensual touch then you have res then you have the p show that man that you're proud of him then you have the 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 other e make sure he eats good food then you have the c show compassion to the man men are more sensitive than we act to be and last but not least is the t train your children to love their father and let those children know that even though daddy ain't here all of the time whenever you have cold air when you have warmth in the winter when you have a soft bed to sleep on food on the table shoes on your feet that's daddy showing love to you and when men if men on one side would be loyal would love would labor would listen, make her laugh and be learned. And women on the other side would respect and esteem and bless his sight by staying beautiful, make sure he eats right, show compassion to the man and train that man, train the children to love their father. I promise you, a home like that will become a spiritual recharge center. And when you unplug from this wicked white man's world, after moving in this world, getting beat up, by the world, you can come home to a place of, of love and you can extract from that environment peace and power when men are loving like that and women are loving a man like that. that that's kind of in a nutshell. I definitely got to work on the listening. That, that ain't easy. Well, I always t tell people this, you know, there's a verse in the Quran, Brother Job, that says this, that surely there's a message in creation for those who reflect or those who believe. Well, when you say there's a message in creation, of course, that means that you can study nature and creatures and you can learn about yourself, but also means when you study the anatomy, the creation, this creation, there's a message in it. The fact that the Lord of the worlds gave us two eyes, two ears, and only one mouth means we should be listening and observing more than we are talking. And, and what we don't do, see, men, we don't work out problems by talking. Men work out problems by thinking. But women don't work out problems just by thinking. They work out problems by talking. So you have to, as a man, you have to learn how to master the art of listening. Where, where you're paying attention to what someone is saying that you love. And, and to listen doesn't just mean that you heard, just to hear. See, to hear, all, to, all you got to do to hear is know the sound registered on your eardrum. But to listen, you actually have to try to put yourself in the shoes of the one that's explaining what they're explaining and communicate with them as if it is affecting you like it's affecting them. And when you listen like that, uh, you'll find that that's, that's the nature of the female. She likes to talk it out. And she does not forget anything. No, she does not. Come on, bro, Josh. She don't forget nothing. 
Why you think they? Why you think they call it at Mother Africa? And why you think they call the Earth the Mother Earth and her and she? Because because they the 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 woman and the planet have the same types of nature. Whatever you put in is what you get out, and once it goes in, it's there, and they can pull it back out. Oh my God! So you have you have to master. Nineteen eighty nine. <laughs> we got a master listening. Uh, All right, so, uh, listen. I know I, we only got a few more minutes left, um, but I saw what you said about Chick Fil A and how you did the research. Were, have you done that with other restaurants, or is that something you're considering doing? As far as like, is that a book you want to do too? Because I think that would be interesting. I, I haven't thought about doing it in a complete book form, but there are uh, other uh, other restaurants that 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 have practices very similar uh, to that. McDevils, Taco Hill does the same stuff. The White Casket. I love White Castle. Seeing Tucky Fried Chicken. Long John Killers. They the, murder, the Murder King. All of them doing something, doing something crazy. But suffice it to say that um, there wouldn't be one doing it on the level that Chick-fil-A is doing it if they didn't learn it from somewhere. So mm-hmm. the original godfather of all fast food, I just called it McDevils, McDeath, McDonald's, whatever you want to call it. I remember uh, five or six years ago, they had on the Today Show or Good Morning America, they had someone come on the show with uh, the little cheeseburger and fries I call it an unhappy meal. They had a had a happy meal, mm-hmm. and they did not put it in any refrigeration. And five years later, it didn't spoil. There was no mold. It still looked exactly the way the fries and the cheeseburger looked exactly the same as it did five years ago. Ooh. What is that telling you? Yeah. That this is not food. This is an industrialized commodity, posing as food. This is good tasting plastic, and nothing could survive like that unless its nature has been corrupted uh, and perverted. So I just would suggest to to all of us to you know if you, just remember this: you cannot do real work on fake food. If what you're trying to be is real mm-hmm. and what you're trying to do is real, you've got to get some real food. And real food does not come with a barcode on it. Real food doesn't have 55 ingredients in one sandwich and 41 of them are chemicals harmful to the human body. Real food is that God made food. Look, 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 at, what, look at what the scripture showed us. I was I was playing around with it one day, brother Job. I looked up the word restaurant in the Bible and the Quran. We went through 200 translations of the Bible and 72 translations of the Quran. We couldn't find the word restaurant nowhere. I looked up hamburger. <laughs> it was not in there. So when you look in the scripture, look at what the God did originally. He planted Adam and Eve in a garden. 
Wow. Not a restaurant, a garden. And then his words were, and I have given unto you every herb bearing seed, and it should be to you as meat or as a meal. So the original people from, from Adam to Noah, do you know, Brother Job, that the life expectancy from Adam to Noah was 912 years of age? And during the time of Adam and Noah, you know what they did? Everybody was a vegetarian. Most people only ate a couple of times out of the week and they engaged in hard work. And they was living to be 912 years of age. Scripture says Adam and Eve were still making children in the 600s. But then after the flood, that's a whole nother program. But after Noah's flood, then the Lord said that it is permissible for you now to eat meat. But two things you can't do. Number one, don't eat no pork, no swine. And number two, don't eat any blood of any animals. Which means that your food should be halal or kosher. And nothing that you get from these fast food restaurants are halal or kosher. So after they stop being vegetarians and eating a couple times out of the week, at the most they ate was one meal a day. Best diet was Methuselah. He lived to be 969. They say he used to fast one day and fast three days and eat one day. Lived to be 969 years of age. But now you go from 912, average from Adam to Noah. After Noah, going from Noah to Jesus, it was cut down to 212. What happened? They start eating meat. Now you get after Jesus comes on the scene and now they eat meat, they eat more, so forth, so forth. It, cut, it gets cut down to a hundred and some. And then now here we are, not even eating meat that we grew or we raised in our own land or vegetables that we grew. Mm -hmm. Now the average life expectancy of an American citizen is only about 74 years of age. And most people might make it to 75, 80, maybe even 90. But them last 30, 40 years, Damn. you're living life on a kickstand, chemically induced with pills you got to pop just to stay alive. But you don't have no real life and life more abundantly like that was, was promised. So I will say, you know, remember, it's just the Lord of the worlds that says, that your body is the temple of God and anyone that defileth the temple shall be destroyed. They don't mean that God going to be in heaven with no lightning bolt striking you down if you want to eat, you know, some bad food. But hell, the consequences built in the decision. Man, trust me, I know about that one. But but I'm going to say this. Just remember this. There's nothing that you could eat that tastes better than good health feels. So try to eat to live so that you can get the maximum use. There's a verse, Brother Job was reading this morning, and uh, it's in Matthew, the 28th chapter, I think the 41st verse, and it troubled me because Jesus was talking to his disciples. Listen to what he said. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
I said, man, that's a hell of a condition to be in. See, if your spirit is willing, that means that you excited yeah. about doing something. Matter of fact, you got a good plan, a good vision, and you know what to work. But now because you haven't been taking care of your health by eating good food, eating less food, and moving more often, now you got a mind and a spirit, excitement, vision, and a dream, but you don't, your body ain't even a vehicle that you can use to even get the job done because it's been broken down. We shouldn't want to be like that. We should want to be able to know that whenever we get an idea, a dream, or a vision, or excitement about doing something honorable, good, noble, that will, might, might make our life better, that we can say, you know what? I got the legs, the heart, the lungs, the back, and the mind that's healthy enough to carry out this task and make this happen. Not the spirit being willing and the flesh being too weak. That's a bad, bad state to be in. So I, I hope that we would try our best uh, to get away from it. There, there's no such thing. You know, there's a saying that you are what you eat. The minister said, yeah, you are what you eat, but even more what you think. So these two gates, the mind and the mouth, what you put in your mind and your mouth ultimately is going to make us what we're going to be uh, in the future. If we want to have a bright, great, strong, real future, we got to put real food and real wisdom uh, in our head and real food in our mouth. You got a recipe book? We, we don't, but I would suggest that everyone get, I mean, we have some, but uh, I would suggest that you get uh, How to Eat to Live, book one and two by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Uh, we are blessed. Uh, you know, the thing that always bothered me, Brother Job, and, I, and I, I learned something. You know, a lot of times black people complain and criticize about something, but never work to replace it. We complain about what the school system is doing. Well, hell, if you're going to complain about it, replace it. You, I complain about what the police are doing in my neighborhood. Well, if you don't like the way they police your neighborhood, police it yourself. Facts. See, see what I'm saying? Yes. I, I learned something in, in Indianapolis. There is a Planned Parenthood on a street called Zionsville Road, 82nd and Zionsville. They had a Planned Parenthood, and you know what they do in there. They kill black babies. That's they that's what they do. So it's an abortion clinic mm-hmm. right there. I used to see people standing outside with signs all the time protesting. But a couple of years after protesting, I looked, and next door to it, they built a facility bigger and better then the abortion clinic, and, and it's called a pregnancy center that teaches mothers how to be mothers. Mm. I said, that's, the, that's what we got to start doing. You don't like that the Koreans are following you around in the beauty supply house? They'll, they'll post up next door with LaQuisha's beauty supply house. You don't, you don't like that what they're doing to you in the restaurants? Well, don't just point it out. Put one next to it. So we've been blessed 
to not only be able to critique a Chick-fil-A, I call them sick filet or Popeye's, but now we have an alternative. We have Eat to Live Cafe here in Indianapolis where we serve good, clean, real food at a very good price uh, uh, six days out of the week. So we have a, a restaurant. Next door, we have another restaurant called Always Bean that's owned by some of the, the members in our complex. So, you know, I'm saying that don't just, if you're going to criticize and complain, put 10% of your energy talking about what your enemy's doing and then take the other 90% of your energy replacing it with something better. And if we did that, uh, we put an end to financial coonery and we get our health back right. Well, I want to say thank you. Uh, and I'm sorry, Will Leftridge, I think he answered your question. Just go cop the books. Um, uh, if people want to buy your books, they want to reach out, uh, get you for a speaking engagement. How do they go about doing that? NuriMuhammad.com is the easiest way. NuriMuhammad.com. Uh, and uh, uh, look me up. They are, there's a phone number. I have a uh, text message number on all my social media pages. If you go to my Instagram, there's a text number. You can text me right there. Come straight to my phone uh, and we'll respond back to do all we can to help you. Uh, help yourself and your family and your people. Thank you, Brother Job. I'm so honored to Thank be able you. to be on the, on the stage with you and hopefully I get to come back soon. Oh, come on, man. You're welcome whenever you want to come on, bro. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for your, your time, your wisdom. Definitely appreciate you. It was an honor and a privilege, man. And you have a phenomenal night. You as well. Thank you, beloved. All right. Have a good one. Peace. Come on, man. Y'all already know, man. And if you haven't, please make sure that you like, subscribe, share the YouTube channel. We need all the love we can get. Um, I, I just do legends over here, man. I, I've been doing this for a long time. Some of y'all I, I know. Um, y'all already know how I get down, man. Um, appreciate just the love and support. And y'all see the growth, man. So uh, look out for your boy. Um, and from now on, if you check out the flyers, I'm going to be putting a QR code on there that will take you straight to the YouTube channel so you don't have to do any searching or nothing like that. I'm making it super easy for you. Um, this has been Jobs. This has been another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio. Appreciate y'all. I'll be back next, excuse me, next Thursday at 5 o'clock. Who we got next Thursday? Let me let me look that up before I, uh, before I let y'all go. Uh, what is next Thursday? Oh, we got Art Foster. Uh, plant-based gorilla sensei so we talk about your diet get some healthy in your system and we got paul stewart uh paul stewart is one of them guys huge producer that you you don't hear about but he is huge uh movies records the whole nine so that should definitely be lit appreciate y'all y'all have a good one and i'm out